even just the framing of how you think about planning your your life, right? I mean, it's like, okay, I have a to-do list every week that I, <laughs> I look at. This is what I want to get done this week. And at what point do you consider stop doings, right? I mean, it's like, that seems like it should be an obvious thing if you're going to add additional to-dos while you have to figure out what you're gonna stop doing as well to keep yourself in balance. Right in this moment when you're making this decision about how to make your week better, it, it reminds you that, hey, subtraction is also a way that you should be able to do this. That was Lighty Klotz, and this is Mentally Flexible. Welcome to Mentally Flexible, where we have meaningful conversations to help you build mental flexibility. I'm Tom Parks. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and in each episode, I'll be talking to people who inspire me most on topics related to psychology, mental health, and creativity. My hope is that through these conversations, you'll better understand yourself, others, and the world around you. Thanks for being here, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. My guest today is Lighty Klotz. Lighty is a professor at the University of Virginia with appointments in engineering, architecture, and business. He studies the science of design, how we transform things from how they are to how we want them to be. He has secured over $10 million in competitive funding to support this new area of research. To share research insights with those who can use them, he has written more than 80 articles and two books. His most recent book is called Subtract, the untapped science of less. This will be at the heart of our discussion today. Some of the topics we explore include the research and insights that led to writing his book, Subtract, how neglecting to consider subtraction can create challenges in our lives, the role that our environment can play in well-being, the similarities and differences between subtracting and minimalism, how Lighty works to integrate these ideas into his own life, and how subtraction can be useful in places like therapy, music, and relationships. It was really cool getting to speak with Lighty. We got connected through Yale Schombrun. Uh, if you listened to the last episode, you heard uh, her introduce his work, and uh, I appreciate her for making this connection. Um, if you're like me and you tend to fill up your life and schedule with lots to do and new ideas and hobbies and uh, books and podcasts, it can be really cool to consider the role that subtraction might be able to play in improving our well-being and bringing more balance to our lives. And it's cool to hear how Lighty's on the frontier of researching this and helping people integrate this both on the micro and the macro. And as always, thank you all for being here and listening to the show and for your ongoing support. Uh, means a lot, and I'm glad you're connecting with the conversations that I'm having with inspiring people. Uh, I hope you enjoy this one with Lighty Klotz, and I'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks again for doing this. I was super excited. I know we just got connected and you sent me uh, your book electronically. So I 
read as much as I could. And uh, I was explaining this to my fiance this morning and her response was, she kindly said, mm, you need this. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess this will maybe help me too. So would you High be pressure. willing to just uh, yeah. ex- explain a little bit about you and your work and your book that we'll be talking about? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, the the book is called Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less. And it's about, um, you know, builds from some research that I did with colleagues in my, I'm a professor at the University of Virginia. Um, and the the research shows that we kind of, we systematically overlook subtraction as a way to make things better. So when we encounter something that we are trying to improve, um, whether it's a physical thing like a Lego model or um, social thing like our our calendar, this maybe this is what your fiance is talking about, uh, or or even the ideas in our head, right? The or the inf- information that we have. Um, our first thought is like, okay, what can we add? To make this situation better, um, and so the so the book built from that brand new research, which um, was on the cover of Nature, which is like the pinnacle of my academic career, uh, and then goes into like, okay, why might this be happening? Like, what are some of the biological reasons, cultural reasons, economic and social reasons, and then what can we do about it? Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think that's what we'll spend the most time talking about. I think, you know, my background, I, uh, I grew up for for the first 22 years of my life. I played soccer. Um, that was the thing that I was most focused on. I still got an education. I, but, um, I did civil engineering. Uh, but um, and then after I was done playing soccer, I played professional for a couple of years, just making like two thousand dollars a month. Nothing nothing major, but um, made the transition to, okay, how can I like help the world in a way that isn't just playing soccer? Um, and that brought me to back to my engineering degree. Um, I worked for a while building schools in New Jersey and then went back to school for my PhD. And now, you know, long story short, my research is kind of on how we make a more sustainable built environment, but that has led me to some of the behavioral science things that are looking at like, okay, how do we how do we think about changing things for the better, right? And whether it's a, a building or our our day-to-day lives, um, it's kind of the same cognitive process. Does that make yeah. sense? <laughs> yeah, okay, totally. Cool. Yeah, and when I was uh, reading the first part of the book and this idea, it it totally resonated with so many different facets of life. And I started to think about how much we apply that um, that instinct we have to add rather than to subtract how it applies to probably even applies to like sports you brought up soccer it applies to uh, music as you can tell by my background I play music and uh, when you know when you're creating a song my first instinct is always like what else could I add to this song to make it better and when really a lot of times it's taking away things that can make a song better and but our instinct is always to add more so uh yeah, I see this showing up in all different sorts of ways. Yeah, there's so many great examples from music. I talk about Bruce Springsteen in my book because he's like one of my my favorite musician. But um, and then when I talk to other musicians, they give uh, people who are interested in other kinds of music. They give me examples from from other areas of music where people like musicians are able to strip down the sound to make it um, to make things better. Mm-hmm. So. If we kind of get to the 
the foundation of here. Why do we tend to think about subtracting, uh, to tend to think about addition over subtraction? Why is that our first instinct? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, as your listeners know, I mean, we, we have all these thinking shortcuts, right? I mean, these ways that we're just, okay, we, um, certain things come to mind more readily than other things come to mind. And, uh, so that's, that's basically what's going on here with adding and subtracting. And, um, I mean, the, there's an example from the beginning of the, my research on this that is actually after doing all the research proved to be really, um, really illustrative of what's going on. So I was playing Legos with my son. We're building, a a bridge basically. It's just Duplo blocks and the bridge wasn't level. Um, and so I went to, add a block to the shorter column. And before I could do that, he had removed a block from the, from the longer column. So, you know, he made a level bridge in a way that I would never have thought of to make the level bridge, Mm. because if he wasn't there, I would have just added on to the longer column to the shorter column and moved on without even considering whether subtraction was the option. So it's not, you know, it's not necessarily a problem that we have these heuristics or these decision-making shortcuts. And, you know, the reason we have them is because they've been helpful from an evolutionary perspective for some reason. Right. Uh, and, you know, in this case, you could say, Hey, maybe like acquiring food, acquiring resources, acquiring shelter, all of those might be good instincts to develop that have helped us over time, um, but it doesn't mean that they're. It doesn't mean that we're beholden to them now, and it doesn't mean that they're always helpful now. And uh, you know, the problem isn't that you have this first thought. The problem is that you may not even get to the second thought, which is a whole category of options for making something better. Right. So. I mean, if we think of adding first and then think of subtracting, it's no big deal. But if we think of adding first Mm. and as a bunch of our experiments showed and, you know, with things other than Legos, well, we did some experiments with Legos, but with things other than Legos too, um, people were often just getting the wrong answer on objectively the wrong answer because they were failing to consider subtraction. And then after you said, hey, did you think about this? And they're like, oh no, of course, that's the right answer. I just, I just didn't think of it. So, um, so that's where it becomes a problem. Oh, wow, that's super interesting. Like some, our brains can be so fixed, our minds can be so fixed on solely looking at addition that sometimes we, we don't even consider subtraction and that's where it can really become a problem. Yeah. And it's a whole class of options, right? I mean, that's that you're just, I just got excited because you're just hitting the nail on the head of why, like I had to write a book about the research. Like this is important to a lot of people because, you know, this is an entire category of ways to make the world, to make your life, to make things better. Um, And it's a problem if we're (laughs) systematically missing out on it for, for a variety of reasons. Totally. And it, this probably has implications both on the micro and the macro, right? Like how we function as individuals in our day to day and how we function as a society and as communities. Uh, what are some of the ways that this might show up? Like, even if we for right now focus on the micro, like what are some examples of how being locked into uh, addition might have implications in somebody's life? Uh 
for like just your calendar is a is a good one. And one of the studies mm-hmm. that we did, we we did a whole bunch of studies on this in different contexts. And eventually we were like, let's try to create something where people are just going to subtract. Like it's obvious you should sub- subtract. And so we made this um I, itinerary study. So it was this uh trip to Washington, you know, imaginary trip to Washington, DC that we gave to participants. It's like, here are 14 different things that you're going to do on a day trip to Washington, DC. So it's like almost impossible because these were big things like visit the the Lincoln Memorial, go to, go to the Washington monument, go eat lunch at a five-star bistro. And I think we calculated like the traffic between all of these things or the, the driving between all of the tasks was like two and a half hours. And that was in perfect traffic, which never happens in Washington, DC. So you give people this like nearly impossible day, even if it is possible, it's like, you're just going to be running all over the place and not enjoying anything. And it's a drag and drop interface for the itinerary. And we said, Hey, you can add stuff to this or take stuff away from this itinerary. How would you make it better? Um, and more people added more stuff onto that itinerary than, than took things away. And so again, it's like, okay, the, the idea, you know, you, you're trying to, that's a little bit, I guess, fear of missing out, but um, you can see that, you know, not just in day trips, but in, I'm thinking about how I'm thinking about my day today, right? It's like, here's all the stuff that I need to get done. Well, it's like, how much time am I spending thinking about like, do I really need to do this this one thing and that would allow me to spend more time on this other thing that I really care about. So even just the framing of how you think about planning your, your life, right? I mean, it's like, okay, I have a to-do list every week that I, I look at, this is what I want to get done this week. And at what point do you consider stop doings, right? I mean, it's like, that seems like it should be an obvious thing if you're going to add additional to do's well you have to figure out what you're gonna stop doing as well to keep yourself in balance but that's you know that's something that i've had to really work at and to to remind myself i think it illustrates a larger point too right it's not that we can't think of subtraction it's that we just need to to be reminded to and like the stop doings work because it's like right in this moment when you're making this decision about how to make your week better um it, it reminds you that, hey, subtraction is also a way that you should be able to do this. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. It, it makes me think about clinically when I work when I work with clients, it um, validates an intuition I have when coming up with goals, whether in more of like a, a general way at the start of treatment or in a week to week way. Yeah. I always try to include like over the next week, what would you what would you like to do or what would you like to stop doing or not do over the next week? I, so including yeah. that as an option, because I think we don't like when someone talks about their goals or their new year's resolutions, it's usually always to do more of something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The new year's resolution is never, I mean, unless it's like stop smoking or something really obvious, but it's usually, um, yeah. And you can, I'm, I think, the other, you know, with behavior change, right? I mean, there's these classic models of behavior change and it's like adding, you can add incentives, you can add uh, constraints or penalties, but you can also remove barriers, right? Like what are the barriers to the behavior that you want? And I'm sure you're very adept at like leading your your clients through removing those barriers, but it's another example where it's like, it's not 
not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind is like, what are these barriers? And in that case, um, it's arguably the better option, right? Because if you leave those barriers in place, no amount of incentives or, uh, or penalties are going to kind of relieve that tension or relieve that thing that's kind of creating the behavior that is not desirable. The other one I think that's interesting, and you can probably speak way more intelligently than me on this, is just like our thoughts, right? I mean, it's, how do you meditation or like mindfulness, that seems like it's like, okay, you're, you're purposefully subtracting thoughts and trying to, trying to clear space for the, for the benefits that that provides. Um, also, I think about it in terms of like our mental models of the world, right? And so we're so, how do you get smarter? It's like we get more information and you just jam it into your mental models, but how much time do we spend actually revisiting how we think about the world and analyzing whether there's things with how we currently think about the world that we should remove or, um, or update or, or modify? Yeah, it's interesting how, like from, from my vantage point, how I work with clients, uh, thoughts are kind of like the one thing we can't subtract. And <laughs> right. once, once a thought is in there, it's, it's, there's no way, you know, classic things like don't think of a pink elephant, you know, right. like there's right. no way to get rid of it, but yeah. there are a lot of ways to subtract um, parts of our day or situations we put ourselves in that stir up the mind to make it much more cloudy or busy. And those are things that we can subtract, but, uh, it's, oh, so like you're, you'd actually talk about like changing the physical environment or the situation that people are in so that it doesn't stir those things up. Is that what you mean? Yeah, as long, yes, exactly. All the, as long as it's not some covert way to remove certain thoughts, like maybe we're going down a clinical road here, but like a lot of the work that I'll do with clients, I'll work with clients with uh, OCD and anxiety disorders. And a lot of what people can get people stuck is having certain what they see as bad thoughts or, or yeah. wrong thoughts and then going down a road of trying to not have that thought, which can actually just, you know, really it just have, cycles. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the environments we in situations we put ourselves in that either like, uh, facilitate, you know, more spaciousness in our own minds or, or busy it up are definitely things to look at. Oh, interesting. Yeah. My next uh, book that I'm working on is about how, how we make space. Um, <laughs> so it's like the, like, I, I mean, as you know, the, the environments that we're in are really critical to everything about our lives. Um, and I feel like that's kind of underappreciated. And I think the other thing is like, how do we, and I also think what's underappreciated is just how much influence we have over those environments. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, there's architects and engineers and urban planners, but most of the environments that you're in, you, have more sway over than you think. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a really cool example that, um, you would actually advise people to, you know, seek out or create more, more calm and less cluttered environments, for example, to relieve that anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And even start by just being curious. It's like, okay, if you're having trouble sleeping, like, let's look at like the environment you're in for the hour or two leading up to going to sleep. Like, does that serve a space of like, cooling down and winding down? Or is that a space and environment that, you know, does the opposite? And 
Uh, so yeah, I think there's so much riches there to explore. And so for the work that you're thinking about in your next book, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm still working on the kind of like, how do you make it land with an audience in 30 seconds, but it's, you know, it's a, I think it wants to do those two things. One is, is heighten our appreciation for just how much the built environment matters. Um, and then also give us more agency for, for creating the built environment for all the reasons that we, we know it's important. Um, so it's, and it's, um, it's, uh, I think it does those things by more closely merging like psychology and related social sciences with how we understand and how, like with engineering and other, um, architecture and other disciplines that have like made space that make space, you know, that they're like professions that make space. And, um, it's interesting because as I like, as I'm doing the research for this book, it's like, this is something that like all the philosophers back in the day were like thinking about. And for some reason, I mean, not, I don't think it's for some reason it's because like, okay, now we split off into disciplines and kind of separated the mental stuff from the physical stuff for with, with positive effects in a lot of ways, but it like all of a sudden nobody's looking at it anymore. And yet we're making all these advances in like psychology and in, and in the built environment. And it's like, how do we, how do we go back to like considering those things together and, um, and with yes. the benefit of all the, all the new scientific findings that have, have come out about that. So, and I know yeah. it's not, I know it's not that nobody's thinking about this. It's just that I feel like the, the role of the environment on behavior is very underappreciated. And if you're thinking about like determinants of behavior, yeah, it's like, it's not easy to make space, but it's, it's, uh, it's easier than changing your genetics or it's easier than changing your, uh, you know, your in, in, in utero <laughs> development. So it's like one of the only things that determines our behavior that we actually have control over. And, you know, that's, what's cool about your example, right? It's like, okay, you're trying to deal with the thoughts that are in somebody's head and, and it's actually easier <laughs> to change the physical environment than it is to, try to just have somebody change their thinking. So a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. What you were saying, how we've lost touch with this, uh, zoomed out perspective on the inner relationship between everything. And, uh, this is some ancient wisdom. Did, uh, do you know who Alan Watts is? Say it again. By any chance? Do you know who Alan Watts is by any chance? Uh, no. Oh, well, Anyway, he's a he's a philosopher that he's no longer alive now. But to just tie it back to your point, he st he talked a lot about how as we've become more specified in our knowledge and branches of uh, academics, we've we've kind of lost touch with the like ecologist that's kind of gotten away. The person, the people oh, awesome. behind it that can have everything like know how everything fit together and have like a wisdom with all that because we're just getting so narrowed in on like make on the differences between everything. And I think yeah. the same applies with medicine too. We do that. We kind of lose touch of like how everything fits together in the body as we go more and more into specialties, we branch off. So yeah, I'll have to 
check out. I think I have heard of him and I, I've certainly heard of that idea. And it's interesting because, yeah, you, you mentioned it in medicine. But it's also, you know, there used to be a thing in the built environment called the master builder. Right. And this was the person who like knew everything. <laughs> like they know how to design the thing. They know how to build the thing. They know how the thing, you know, so they're essentially an architect, an engineer, a planner, um, and, you know, that has gone the way of, okay, the architect just designs the building, the engineer makes sure it stands up, the, you know, you've got all these different kinds of engineers for all the different systems. And just, you know, just at that level, it gets broken up and you lose some of the integration. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and it's cool because, like, at, uh, you know, at the time when, like, people like Emerson were writing about this integration, they didn't know nearly as much about you know, they're philosophers, they're not psychologists or scientists, right? And so now the scientists have figured a lot of this stuff out and there's a cool opportunity to to integrate it and, and kind of see where we are. Yeah, and yeah, and I love that you included a quote in the book from, I think from the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu, about, yeah. uh, what's the quote? To attain knowledge, add things every day. To attain wisdom, subtract things every day. I yeah, love that how it shows how deep this um, way of understanding the world has been with us, and uh, yeah, so it's and like, it shows we're how not long discovering is... anything new. Yeah, yeah, it shows how long this has been going on, right? It's like okay, you know, Lao Tzu's the stuff that's attributed to him is like two thousand years old at least, and um, he's he gets to be counterintuitive by saying, you know, we don't think about subtraction. So it seems like this has been going on for, for a long time. It isn't just some, some new thing that has happened in our internet era. Yeah. How much overlap is there between uh, subtracting and the work that you're interested in wrote about in this book and other things like uh, minimalism, like how much overlap and how much difference is there? I see it as, you know, subtracting is the action and minimalism is one end state. At the same time, I think you can get to minimalism without subtracting, right? You can just not accumulate. <laughs> so and I think there's a little difference, too, with minimalism or... Sometimes I think minimalism can give the impression that this is going to be easy, right? It's like, okay, you just don't do anything. You just don't accumulate anything. You don't add stuff. Um, and that is one way to have minimalism, but uh, subtracting is hard, right? It's like what, what we saw for the cognitive process is that we can think of it as just not our first thought. You have to think harder. And then in terms of, of doing it, when you think about it, um, you know, to to subtract from a, a space, you have to like put something in the space more first, right? So you've, you've had to take more steps to get to subtracting, or let, maybe let's think about it in terms of music, right? So most of the, most of the music, if we, when you talk about, okay, here's some stripped down music, that's really great. It's like your writing process for that music is not to just like all automatically come up with the stripped down music. It's like, okay, you, you make the music and then you're like trying to make it better and, and you decide, okay, I can take out these notes or I can take out this instrument or I can like put this pause in here. Um, so you're actually taking more creative steps to, to subtract. So it's definitely related, mm. but I think there's a big difference in terms of subtracting being 
the action and minimalism being the end state. And also, I think there's just a little bit of a, you know, I think it's unintentional on the part of minimalism, but it's that can give the impression that this is easy. And when in fact, it's, it's harder, right? The easy, the default, the what we're going to do left to our own devices is to add. And so subtracting is actually harder. Mm. Yeah, subtracting takes that extra level of action where maybe sometimes minimalism, not in a bad way, but you could get there through kind of like certain rule, rule governed behavior of like how to live. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. How does this, uh, if, if you're willing to share as much as you want, like how does your awareness of all this fit into your, your life? Like how do you actually take this and maybe at your best and at your worst, like how did um, I, it's certainly, I, I mean, obviously I was like keyed in on it as something that, Hey, could make your life better before I was doing the research. And like, one thing that brought me to the research idea is like, I noticed this in the physical world, right? You see, a uh, a, a, you know, a passive house design. So I don't, like, if, if you're not familiar with that, that's just a, these are houses that use very little energy. They have like really streamlined designs. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they're good for fighting climate change. They're also like really fun places to live. And it's like, okay, a lot of the innovation there is like you, you take out the HVAC system and, you know, the only way that that design works because like some of the other materials cost more, right? You're like paying for more expensive windows and you're like spending more time on sealing up different places where the air would come in, but then it makes it so that you can get rid of the HVAC system. So it works because of the subtraction and it's like beautiful because of the subtraction. Um, so I, like I, I'm all, I'd always been like paying attention to those physical things. And then in my own life, it's, um, certainly trying to think about how you prioritize for maximum effectiveness. But then since doing the research, I think I've noticed it certainly more in my, um, uh, information and learning basically. Um, you know, I'd always realized that, you know, you've got to like streamline writing and streamline communication to get the message across. This has helped me, uh, think about that even more, be aware of that even more, but also just in my own like mental models, it's like, Hey, how much time am I spending like reading books, bringing new ideas into my head versus how much time am I spending actually processing it and, and thinking mm-hmm. about what it means and how it all relates to each other. And so I think that it's changed my balance there, but it's hard. I mean, I think that like one of the last places, well, I'm still struggling to apply it in my parenting, which is like, and that's, I think the more you care about something kind of the harder it is, right? Because yes. you're, yes. um, you're fighting this, Hey, adding makes me feel like I'm doing something and subtracting makes me feel like I'm potentially being lazy or maybe I'll be perceived as being lazy. And so with parenting, when you've got all these opportunities and like, Hey, what I can provide my eight year old with a soccer coach and all this, you know, 10 different foods for his lunch plus, um, you know, uh, music class, pottery class. And you don't, it's harder to say, okay, well, actually it would be better if he had this two hours of free time where he's like completely bored and has to figure out how to make himself happy. Um, so I think that's one where I guess I need more, more reminders. It's like, Hey, 
the eight-year-old and the three-year-old are playing nicely together in the living room. Yeah, it's nice to have dad around, but maybe I should just like keep myself out of that situation until I'm until I'm called into it because it'll probably mm. only last five or ten minutes. And um, wow. so, yeah, I think uh, I think I've certain. I guess to to sum up my answer, I was definitely keyed into it before, but it's um, doing the research and writing the book and talking to people like you has made me think about it much more in my my parenting and in my like mental models, basically. Wow. That's super interesting. Thanks for sharing. Something you said really resonated with me about time spent consuming more information versus like distilling it or integrating it. And yeah, that's probably one of the things my fiance notices that you need. This is like, I'm curious and want to learn and consume new podcasts and books and stuff. But yeah. how much of that a, a month later could someone ask me questions on and I can really like understand versus taking it in just to take it in? I think there's a lot of room for me to grow there. Yeah, it's hard to because I mean, it's because <laughs> you don't actually know. It's hard to evaluate the counterfactual, I guess. Right. Um, it's like, OK, well, if, and, and so many it sounds like you're like me, where it's like, if I read a book, it's not, I'm not like spouting out quotes from a book, but it, I feel like the, the book has changed me in some way. Right. Or like I've, I've uh, internalized kind of the core messages or the core ideas from the book. And, and it's amazing. Like I'm a professor of course, like getting information is amazing. And like, what a beautiful time where we can like go on the internet and search. Uh, I don't I was reading a book last night about, um, to my eight-year-old about uh, the San Francisco Bay Bridge and is talking about this guy Irving Morrow, who I guess is the reason that the Bay Bridge is red. And uh, then I go on Wikipedia and find out all more information. Then you're like <laughs> digging into it. So it's like, how cool is that to be able to do that? I mean, back in, uh, but, um, but yeah, you have to be, <laughs> you have to be conscious of like, okay, now my mind is doing this instead of something else. I think um, taking ownership of, uh, of what we're paying attention to is, is really important. Maybe a, a tip that's helped for me, and this is a simple thing. I think I got it from maybe Cal Newport or Adam Alter, these guys who talk about like kind of, mm -hmm. did, you know, our, our relationship with uh, technology. But if, if it's like the, are, if you've made a conscious decision to pay attention to this thing for some reason, then it's probably worth doing it. But if it's like, okay, I was just brought here because when I clicked on the Google search bar, it said, you know, this was one of the options. And I was like, oh, I should be interested that so-and-so died, even though I don't know who so-and-so is, right? Um, then that's probably information that's that you could go without. So it's like, who are you consciously seeking it out? And I think with books and podcasts, or are you just you know, being hit over the head with it. One fact that I found when I was writing this book is that like the average kind of white collar worker encounters a hundred thousand words a day. Um, mm. And as you know, that's like more than a book. And so imagine if you were intentional about those a hundred thousand words <laughs> that you encountered, how much, um, yeah, how much farther you might be able to get in your level of understanding. So I don't know. If you figure it out, let me know. But. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have a support group meet once a year, give updates. Yes. Yeah. You know, something you were, something just showed up for me, which is an interesting, maybe like when we were talking about some of the similarities and differences with subtracting and minimalism and how minimalism is maybe just not 
not choosing not to add things and subtracting is like that action of removing. There's maybe space in there. A place I can struggle too is like, let's say I have a rare weekend day free. Yeah. And this is where the difference is maybe between my fiance and I will be is like, that's like for her a nice day to get to relax or spend quality time. And for me, my mind will go and create a bunch of ideas for what I want to do to fill up that day, you know, go to the gym, grocery shop, split a bunch of wood, take the dog for the hike, uh, make a good meal. And so I feel like there's a lot of room for subtracting even in your own like ideas you get attached to not to make the thoughts to go away. But sometimes like even just in my own head ahead of time, I have to like choose to subtract some plan that I've like made in my head that I feel attached to for a day. And that's like an action of subtraction. Yeah, no, I, that totally counts. Right. And I think that's like, if you've thought of it and you were planning to do it and then you don't, that's definitely a subtraction. I like, I don't, I'm a little bit on your side against your fiance here. I think that the, like that day that you described though, it's like, you're just, um, you're still having a relaxed day. You're just trying to be productive. Right. It's not, I thought you were going to say, Oh, I want to like go tour these, this museum and like try to fill it up in that way. But you're just, uh, like, those are things that you like to do. That's okay. Well, it's maybe the, the, uh, to have her back here. It's my energy around it. It's the sort of like, uh, I see. Yeah. The urgent productive energy that takes like a nice day that could be like relaxing. And at the end of the day, makes me feel kind of drained. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not making you feel refreshed at the end of the day, then maybe, I don't know. You could schedule in. The blank time, that's uh, a trick one of my colleague uses. It's not exactly analogous to the free day, but she does it in work where it's like, okay, if she clears her calendar to of meetings, she'll leave that like kind of meeting block on the calendar as like this time brought to you by not going to the meeting, right? So it's like maybe you'd feel better about the two hour of not doing anything yes. time if you're like, okay, Tom, I'm forcing myself to to do this two hours of of nothing. I think about this with like exercise, right? You're supposed to like let your body recover. And I always struggle on the, the day off because I just like really like running and getting my heart rate yes. up or whatever. And so reframing that day off is more of like something that's productive or it's like, okay, you're accomplishing this day off and acknowledging that it's a hard thing to do and giving like giving it a name calling like basically turning it from a subtraction into an addition i guess <laughs> tricking myself yes. yeah it's uh kind of it's reminding me of something i'll do with clients especially ones that you know you know run their own businesses or have super busy schedules when we get to the end of treatment I really encourage clients to not take that time they carved out of their day from work for therapy and then just fill it, fill it up with some more work stuff, but to really keep that on their schedule, like indefinitely to serve a similar function that therapy might to like not have something on your schedule because it's so easy to just fill things right back up. Right. Yeah, you're right. And that's, that's the kind of thing that would get filled up with something that's not meaningful right it would just like get eaten up swallowed up by some task that yeah might not be the highest value thing you could be doing do you feel like sometimes it's almost like people struggle myself included like 
removing things and building in space in your life unless you have like a really good reason like somebody is willing to change around their busy work schedule because of therapy and it's this reason and it's an appointment but if it's for things they we, you don't feel like you can hold on to as like a legitimate reason in your own head it's hard to do it with yeah totally um I think there's something about like other people seeing it too, right? It's like, at least with therapy, you go and there's a therapist and the therapist knows that you're like working on something and there's like a physical uh, connection, not physical connection, but there's like a connection to another person. I find it hard with like writing, which is like the main thing that I'm supposed Mm. to be doing as a professor. And it's like, you feel bad when you're like, oh, I just like sat in my office for three hours this morning doing, doing writing. And it's like exactly the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, but it's not demonstrate. It's not demonstrating immediately that I'm doing something for somebody. So I think maybe it's something about like instant, instant gratification or, or instant, maybe it's less like internal and more external where um, I think, you know, I can do that now because I've written stuff and people know that, okay, well, Lydie actually does write things. And then when he does that, you know, is valuable in some way. And so now that we'll give him space to do that. Um, I think it's really hard when you're like just starting a job or just, you know, kind of finding your way in a relationship or just, you know, to, to have that time just for yourself where it might not be obvious that you're, you're doing something of value. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I find it hard to, I think there, I mean, one thing that I talk about in the book is like this desire to display competence. Right. And this is actually, uh, very biological desire. We want to show that we can, you know, effectively interact with the world. Um, the story I use in the book is the bowerbirds that build the ceremonial nests. So they, the male bowerbirds go around and build these nests. And then the female bowerbirds look at the nest, decide which male to mate with. And then the female bowerbirds go build a nest to shelter the young. So the whole point of the first male built nest is just to show like, Hey, I can move stuff <laughs> around in the world. Um, and this, uh, I mean, and this is something that extends to task completion, like um, Albert Bandura, Stanford psychologist, showed this, um, that we want, so like when I go to a meeting, it's displaying my competence. And a lot of the subtractive stuff, um, we are effectively interacting with the world, but the display part is missing, right? It's like people people don't get to see it, so... So it can be hard yeah. in that way. And I think then, then it's like, how do you make it visible? Right. And, um, you know, to go from the Bower birds to music, it's like one of the reason I use Bruce Springsteen in the book is because one of his subtractive albums is darkness on the edge of town. So he went from born in the USA, which, you know, he's or not born in, born to run. So his breakthrough album, he's a famous rock star. And then his next album is darkness on the edge of town. And it's, he calls it, it's his samurai record all stripped down for fighting and um you know the songs on there are really sparse and there's you know 250 words per song instead of 350 words per song on on born to run um and it so it was noticeable it wasn't like oh bruce springsteen's just got lazy and didn't couldn't think of 350 words it was like oh he's going for something different here (laughs) and this is a subtraction that displays his competence and um 
so I think, you know, if you subtract enough, sometimes people start to notice. Yeah. It's also going off of music. I, I brought this up with Yale. Uh, how do you pronounce your name? Yale. I think you got Yale. it. Right. I think it's Yale. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just that confident when you say it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to uh, have some humility here. I was uh, in preparation for this. I was unsure how to pronounce your name. So I was watching a, a video on YouTube of you on like a morning show and they're like, all right, they said his name. Like as long as like they, they said it right. Anything. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was talking to her and about with music, another way this shows up, on the sort of post-production side is, I don't know if you know, you know much about this, but there's like a, the EQ, which is like shows you all the different uh, levels of the, the range of uh, free sound frequency okay. that you can manipulate to like change how it's going to sound when somebody's listening to it. Yeah. You know? And my first instinct always, and I think most people's is when you look at that bar, where can I add things to the frequency to change how it sounds. And I read a Reddit post once and me along with like hundreds of people all had their mind blown that another way you can do it is actually to remove parts of the awesome. frequency. Yeah. And nobody had like thought of, I've never even considered that. And now it's like in a, a main way that I, you know, adjust the EQ, but I never even considered it. Huh? That's really interesting. Well, um, one of our studies that didn't make it into the paper, uh, just cause we didn't have enough, people in it was um we look there's this game called loopamoles that's like music it's basically uh producing music for little kids and so you can like drag and drop the you know the different tracks and mix them together and so we were testing whether people added or and they did the same thing that you're describing so the frequency one sounds like it's a more authentic real world example so if we ever want to study it more uh we'll have to use that yeah, maybe use amateur musicians who amateur musicians <laughs> maybe on Reddit. Just go to the Reddit post. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, it, that's a really cool example to kind of bring us back to where we started. That my brain never even considered that as an option, which is kind of wild. Yeah, and you're like somebody who cares a lot about music, right? It's it, it's not a it's not a matter of like once you considered it, you knew that that was a way to to make it better. It wasn't that you didn't know. It was just that you didn't think about it. So much has shown up now about how this applies, like even relationally, like when we have um, in our relationships, if they're not satisfying or fulfilling so much of the time, our first instinct is like, what could we add? Let's add in a date night. Let's add in like this right. extra thing into our lives. Let's add in this or when really there's probably a lot of things that you could look at to just remove from a relational dynamic that would do just as much, if not more. Yeah, that's a good one. Cause yeah, it's the same situation where it's like, we, you're not getting more time. <laughs> you're not getting, uh, and so, you know, adding a date night that comes from somewhere or adding something else comes from somewhere. So if you can figure out things that are not serving the relationship that you can get rid of, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, I'll do that with clients. Like, I'll just have them walk through how if they're having problems with their spouse, like walk through how you spend the end of the night. And I'm like, if we could remove that 30 minutes that you're supposed to be hanging out where you just both sit on your phone and don't talk to each other, that would probably you could just take away the phone. That would probably yeah. be helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can go back to your fiance and say, Lighty, help me. He, we're not doing date night anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See how that works. She's like, oh, I'm not going to read the book. Yeah, She's no, not. date night is 
date nights always proves helpful when we can squeeze it in in my relationship oh, yeah, anyway. It's, uh, the foundation, I feel like quality quality time with consistency is such a foundational part of a relationship that people overlook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now tell me all of your relationship advice. I don't have any relationship <laughs> advice. Oh man. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Having a the fiance stage was that's a, that was, I just remember that as a really fun time. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, yeah, the relationship stuff, it's like with the, for, for us, I think the biggest, like with kids, that's just like now all of a sudden your relationship has another person in it. <laughs> it's so it's like that's when you really just have to pay attention to it. And I don't know, like I probably have more bad examples than good examples there. But um, yeah, sounds like you're doing well, great. Yeah. Well, you're just adding so many more variables into a situation that comp- yeah. can complicate things or put you on autopilot or whatever. Yeah. And you're just taking something that's working and you're throwing a massive, like you're just shaking up the whole complex system that is your relationship. And I mean, in very positive ways too, but it's, it's a huge change, I guess. And so that's, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, to maybe as we move towards the ending here to in your book, since I wasn't able to read the whole thing yet, do does, is it just sort of, is the book just describing the predicament or is there also... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so the, the book kind of describes the new science in the first chapter. And then it's like, okay, what are the reasons, like a systematic investigation of the reasons. So like biology, biological reasons, cultural reasons, and, you know, socioeconomic reasons. So that gets you kind of the, the first half of the book is, is the in-depth exploration of of why uh Mm. is this new thing that we found happening and then the second half is like how can we how can we get better at subtracting so i mean it doesn't distill things down into here's the 10 steps to subtract because i don't like that's not authentic but um it does get into more of these like okay if you have reminders or cues like the stop doing list like that is a way to to think about it more if you have um if you're able to think of subtracting more positively, that's a way to to feel better about it. If you're able to have a, a really clear vision for, for what you want your future situation to look like, that can give you clarity on what needs to be added and what needs to be subtracted. So things like that are in the in the second half of the book, plus a bunch of stories about Bruce Springsteen and Strider bikes. That's a good one. So if you've got a fiance and you're thinking about kids, like, don't strider bikes are these little bikes that two-year-olds can fly around on because they don't have pedals. Um, and so the kid walks on top of it, um, basically propelling it like a Flintstone car. And like my, she's, she's almost four now, but when she was three, my daughter could go as fast on that as I could run. And it's like this super cool innovation that gets kids on bikes earlier than we could ever get on bikes. And you see this really great look on their face and it's relatively new. Like, we didn't have that when I was riding bikes. And, um, you know, you think about all the bike innovations over time with like fatter tubes, fatter tires, all the bells and whistles, more gears. And nobody thought like, Hey, can we just like remove the pedals and make this bike rideable by a whole new age group and, and saleable to their parents. So 
second half of the book has stories like that and how the people thought of it and, you know, how you could use kind of similar thinking to come up with innovations in your own life. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. When I was, uh, you know, reading through the introduction of the book that you sent me, I, I just was so excited and it resonated with me so much. And I, so I'm really happy that we had this chance to talk today. Yeah, likewise. It was super helpful for me. I got to look up Alan Watts and read some of his stuff. And then also um, I might reach out again to pick your brain about the you're changing the environment suggestion. I might have enough for that story just for the for the next book. So that's a really, oh. a really powerful one that like here's somebody who's fundamentally dealing with people's brains. And <laughs> your your suggestion is like can't do anything about the brain, change the thing around it. So that's neat. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah, I hope we can stay in touch. And when you, you know, I know you're working on another book, open invite to come back if you want to talk about that. And yeah, I'll send you I'll send you a good Alan Watts lecture on what that topic we were talking about. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, how do do you like have any ways people can get in touch with you or connect with you? Do you do any like Twitter, um, Facebook or any of that stuff. I, I'm on like Twitter and Facebook. You can find, or not, I'm on Twitter. Like you can find me, my email on the internet. My parents gave me a good Google name so you can kind of see what I'm up to. I have a website, but I mean, all the good stuff about subtracting is in the, in the book, but um, yeah, you can find me cool. in those other places too. Cool. I'll post uh, links to all that stuff and links to the book and stuff. And thank you again, man, for real. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. This was fun. It's got me out of my mind. It's got me seeing trees breathe. It's got me learning how heaven and hell are both inside of me. It's got me feeling the love that I bottled so deep when the entire world kept feeding on my grief.